For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So, welcome everyone. So, tonight we're going to have a report on the recent Branching Streams conference. Branching Streams is an association of uh, different sanghas around the country and even around the world, uh, from, uh, who's founded from San Francisco Zen Center and Suzuki Roshi lineage. So, uh, I remember when the only Song Sukiroshi Sangha east of California was uh, Pat Phelan's in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Now they're in uh, three in Texas, uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, Boston, couple New York, Washington D.C., and and Vermont. Uh, so uh, Jerry and Douglas represented us there, and. Um, will give a report. Jerry, I think, was there for the first time. Douglas is a member of the Branching Streams uh, committee, so uh, he could fill in afterwards. So, Jerry, would you please give us your impressions and experience of the Branching Streams? Um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you very much for the opportunity to go to this conference. It was really nice. There were probably 40, 41 people there, mostly a lot of them were teachers or priests. Um, there were 20 Zen centers represented. Um, and the theme of the conference was healing reconnections. So it was two and a half days of seminars and mingling and meeting people. The first day, Tuesday, focused really on reconnecting individually with yourself. So in the morning, there was a healing circle. And in the app, led by um, uh, Jane Evans, she's from one of Norman Fisher's students. And in the afternoon, um, Naomi Nye gave a, a poetry class where she talked about poetry and writing poetry. She's done a lot of workshops in poetry writing and teaching herself. She's based out of San Antonio. Um, she says of her own poetry, the primary source of poetry has always been local life, random characters met on the streets, our own ancestry shifting down to us through the small essentials of everyday tasks. And that's what she talked about. She talked about writing poetry as a way to reconnect to yourself and to write about everything, day things in your life. So we took some time to write poems ourselves and she gave us suggestions of topics to write about and things to think about. But similar to the healing circles in the morning, it was a way to think about reconnecting to yourself and to the people around you. I don't know if anybody, people know what a healing circle is, but um, John uh, Evans teaches how to run uh, healing circles, but we broke out into groups and it was a group of people when she she had two poems that she read. One was um, We Are a Tribe by Alberto Rios, and the other one was Kindness by Naomi Nye. 
and um, she would read one poem and everybody would take a turn around the room to talk about their life and what was important in their life and the connections in their life and what how it related to the poem and to who they were. And then she did the second poem and we did the same exercise again. But it was it was really amazing how open people were and how willingly they were to talk about their own lives. And people pretty much talked about the same things, their kids, their own lives, their aging process, their parents, and, and what's going on in their lives. And it was, it was heartwarming to hear people be so open and honest about their lives. And it was really nice to listen to Naomi Nye talk about poetry and how she thinks of poetry as a way to connect to the everydayness of your life. On the second day, the scope got a little bigger, and we talked about connecting to your life in a bigger way, to the environment and to the world at large. So Stephanie Casa, who's, a, who's an environmentalist, she taught for a while at the University of Vermont. She's based up in uh, the Northwest now. She um, is follows in the tradition of um, Joanna Macy. So she did a whole day on um, the work that reconnects. I don't know if anybody's ever taken a seminar. I remember about 10 years ago, I went to a seminar by Joanna Macy. And she, the, that was a wonderful day. Uh, Stephanie Casa started out, she put these objects on the floor. I only remember two of them. One was a piece of driftwood, and one was a basket of um, dead leaves. And people went up and picked up the basket and talked about their emotional response to the world at large, the world, the environment, all living beings. They talked about their grief and their frustration and their sorrow and their hopes and their longings. And it was a way to think about all of all creatures and the environment and the world in the same way you think of your own life and reconnecting to your own life and figuring out what's important in your own life and how you feel about your own life and, and practicing in your own life. It was a way to say, take that now and think about it in terms of the all living beings in the whole world. And that was really a moving sort of thing to do. And the idea behind that is until you know how that relationship works, it's hard to take the next step, which is to make that great turning, to say, okay, let's turn the ship around. Let's see if we can make that turn. And so we're building a world we can live in and everyone can live in. And a world that supports all kinds of life and supports us. So the, the other piece of this reconnecting work, which is really interesting, actually, is this idea of ancestry and the ancestors we have from the past and the ancestors of the future. Joanna Macy talks about how we have to help the ancestors in the future. How will they know where all the nuclear waste is buried? How will they know where the safe places on the planet are? And, and Stephanie Casa talked about it not only in terms of us helping the future ancestors, but the future ancestors helping us today. So you do this exercise where you ask for their advice. 
it's a very interesting way to think about deep time and to think about how the world is really put together here and how we relate to it in a very deep and meaningful way. On the third day, um, Gayan, she runs the Houston Zen Center. She did a history of the uh, Shinru Shizuki lineage in the United States, and she did it for some Japanese Zen Center. She went to visit the big Japanese Zen Centers, and they wanted to know what was going on in America, so she did this history. She said they were really surprised. She was like, oh, you guys are really doing Zen there. You're really sitting there. She was like, they were like, and the other thing she had to say about them was, she said their big thing now is gender equality. So they said to her, okay, in the United States, 40% of the teachers are women. In Japan, it's 3%. Hmm. They looked at her and they said, so why do you think that is? <laughs> <laughs> so she was pretty good. The interesting thing about that that day was there was a, a young, I was going to say a young kid, but he's a grown-up. You know, I'm old, I think, you know, everybody under 35 as a kid. But um, he came from, he, he practices out of New Hampshire, and he's, he's practicing all along on Zoom. And this conference was the first time he actually sat in person with other people. And when Guyon did her uh, little history thing, and she, she went around about all the teachers that are uh, descended from Shinru uh, Shizuki, one of his comments was, he said, you know, I'm sitting here and he looked, he said, I'm looking around the room and I realized that there are people in the room who have known my teacher longer than I've been alive. And I thought, well, well that's an interesting thing to say. I, I don't think I understood the depth of the history that we have in this tradition. The other thing that really was a bigger takeaway for me was just to talk to all the other people at these other 20 centers and to realize there are all different ways to make a center. I was just like, I talked to a woman from, she was in San Jose, in Japantown in San Jose. Her in-person Zendo seats six people. They have an online Zendo. Everybody has an online Zendo. And then you go to Brooklyn, the, the, they have a new executive, uh, administrative director there. He said some of their cities, they get 40 people. I was like, whoa. The Brooklyn Center is kind of like us. They had a city center that they were renting, and they gave it up in COVID because they were paying in for nothing. And now they're renting from a church basement. But they also have a place in upstate New York that's a live-in residential center where people go and live there. And this new executive, this new one, administrative director, spent a year or two living in the residential center in upstate New York. And he was funny because I said, how did you get into that? And he said to me, well, I went with a buddy. My buddy and I went together and we moved into the Zen Center. And I said, you did that in case they turned out to be kooky? You could, you could in reality check each other? And he said, yeah, that's basically why we went together. And, and he just, he's been there ever since. It's been a really nice, wow. he, was in a, he, was, he was nice to talk to. The, the center in Washington, D.C., they're set up. They're, they own three condos in a condo unit building, and that's where their Zen Center is. The teacher, I think, originally had a little studio, and then she and her husband bought another unit in the building, and then somebody in, in their will left them one of the condos. And I thought, well, that's an interesting place to, place to put a, a Zen The Richmond Zen Center has a building they share with five other 
uh, I think altogether it's five groups, including five other religious sects. They share the same building. And they were really interested in the Richmond Zen Center. People were really interested in our camping chachines. When I told them about our camping chachines and that we did all days out in the forest reserves, they were like, really? We could do that. And they started to talk about the parks near them and the places where they could camp near them. And the other thing that people were interested in about our camping chachines, and a couple other people from other centers said this to me, they said, don't you get weird looks from the other campers or don't the other campers bother you? And I was like, I said, you know, I, that never really occurred to me, but I said, not really. I said a couple of times at once when we were doing the the meal chant, somebody might've looked over and said, you know, just because it was loud. But I said, really, pretty much people just leave us alone. And it's a really a nice, it's a nice way to practice outside. And so when I first the first day I was there, I remember sitting in the room looking around thinking, okay, who are all these people? Why are they here? And I think by the end of the conference, it was really, I was really impressed. I thought, there are so many people who, they give their time and their effort and they find spaces and they find money and they do the logistics and they buy cushions and chairs and statues and altars and make schedules and set up websites and put Zoom online sessions and post chants and give instruction. Also, people can show up and practice as in. It's such a gift to see so many people that would do that so someone could come and sit zazen and find their home and fall in love with the world. It's, it's, it's the work of a bodhisattva. It's a really, and it was heartening to see that, to see that. And I, I actually had no idea how big the lineage from San Francisco really is. And and I think a lot of people at the conference, when 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 the, she was putting up the history of all the centers, you know, and she kept adding more and more little symbols. Everybody was like, really? There must have been, I don't know what you think, Douglas, maybe 80? Uh, it was more than that because she was including the, the white Lama Sangha people from or in the lineage of uh, Maizumi Roshi and Katagiri Roshi. But it, it, was, it, was it was quite it was quite impressive. And um, I don't know how many people here remember Hakusho, but he was there. And, you know, you've got to give it up for the guy. He, you know, he's out there in Vermont by himself doing his little entrepreneurial thing, hanging the shingle up, getting people to come and sit Zazen. It's really, a, it's, you know, and he's, he just is so happy about it. It's a really, it was really, I guess that was my biggest takeaway. I had, I didn't understand the depth of the San Francisco lineage. And just to see so many people who were just in this for everybody else. You know, they're not showing up doing that for themselves. They're showing it up so somebody else can come and sit Sazen. It was just like, wow, this is very cool. The other thing I wanted to say is, is uh, David Zimmerman, who was abbot of City Center, and I think he's stepping down, I think, Mako and who's at Austin Zen Center is going to take that position. But he was really um, 
what do I want to say? Um, he made a, a, a serious point of saying that the San Francisco Zen Center really wants to support this effort and to help people come together from all the different centers to share with each other and network and find best practices and, and help each other build up um, build up their centers, which was really nice. And I want to say something about the Austin Zen Center. It probably don't. But um, they have a really nice center. It reminds me of where I used to practice up at Evanston. And uh, Brooklyn actually raised the money to buy their residential center up in upstate New York. Uh, Austin, somebody gave it this. It's a really nice, it used to be a Quaker house. It's a really nice big mansion. It's got a side yard. It's got a little uh, carriage house in the back. And behind that, there's some uh, raised beds for vegetable garden. And they have a really nice center and a couple of really nice altars. And, and there's a, yeah. If you, ever, if you ever get to Austin, you should go visit this place. They were really helpful. I mean, they did all the logistics. The day most of the people were coming in on airplanes, it just it bucketed rain on the day on Monday when all the people were coming in. So they made multiple trips back and forth to the airport picking people. I mean, they just went out of their way to to do whatever they could to make people welcome and to make sure people got there safely and had what they need. And they hosted a little lunch at the end that was people came and saw their Zen Center and had a meal and it was they were really wonderful. So it it's um yeah, it was, it's a really nice organization. And I still think of, of the guy from New Hampshire, you know, who said, hey, you know, you people have known my teacher longer than I've been alive. It was just, I don't know, it just struck me as, okay, this is, we have some deep background here. Who was this teacher? John Allen. John Allen. Oh, John, John, John Emerald? Yeah, he was from North Roseland. <laughs> So that's, thank you for listening to you. Thank you very much. You did a good job of describing the programs. Um, uh, so just as a little quick background about branching streams, and I'll pitch branching streams because I've been on their advisory committee for six or seven years now, and I've been on the planning committee for three of these conferences. Um, Branching Streams is composed of just over 70 sanghas in the United States, including eight or 10 sanghas in Slovenia, uh, England, Northern Ireland, Berlin, Mexico City, Canada. And um, it, it's quite a lot of people. Um, you know, the, the um, I would like to thank Board of Directors of Ancient Dragon for um, authorizing some financial support for the three of us who went. It was uh, Jerry and Shudopal Lazars and me who went. And that was very generous and, and made it possible for us to go. Um, this was a very good meeting. I think um, along with, uh, there've been six meetings in the past. I think Ancient Dragon has sent representatives to all six certainly to five of them. Um, so they've been in, uh, the first one was in Houston, San Francisco, um, Chapel Hill, Chicago, um, Milwaukee Zen Center hosted one, and then there was Austin. And um, 
uh, the title of this one, the theme for this one was healing relationships, which has a sort of ambiguous dual meaning, right? It was healing relationships of all these people with within branch extremes who have not been able to see each other for two years. We even canceled the conference last year. But at the same time, the fact that these relationships are themselves healing. And I think all of us who are part of Zen Sanghas appreciate that, that um, these sanghas tend to be populated by people who are really devoted to this very healing practice and to serious work for the welfare of others. That was certainly the case of, for the conference in Austin, and um, I found that really revitalizing. Uh, in addition to sort of, let's just say, touchy-feely aspects of feeling very motivated to come back and help work more with ancient dragon, there were some practical things as well. Um, you know, there, the uh, the first day's program that Jerry mentioned on healing circles. Um, I think was very much about healing relationships, people feeling very uh, missing a lot of human contact and the opportunity to communicate with other people. The healing circles are usually eight people or so who are moderated by two people who've been through training on how to talk from the heart and in this moment, uh, what you're thinking and feeling right now around some theme, there would be um, a poem or some other uh, way that that the moderator would cue what you might talk about. And that would go through uh, two rounds. Um, as one of the members of the planning committee, I had some training in hosting healing circles and um, and signed up to do some more. That's something I'm back in that if there's interest, then we can offer that uh, from time to time. I think it's a very powerful practice. It's uh, very emotional, and I don't think I would want to do that every week, but it, it is a very, uh, I thought it was very valuable. It's intended, as it said, a healing circle. It is intended for people to be able to share their thoughts and feelings in a way that allows them to heal and, and generate the healing powers that they have within. It's a safe space for people to share. Um, so I would bring that back. The, the, um, the work that reconnects programs that Stephanie Kaza um, presented, uh, you know, began with with uh, Joanna Macy. Joanna Macy invented these programs of exercises and practices. So that the idea is that these programs are not lectures about environmentalism and ecology, but are intended to first. Uh, there are exercises to wake you up to your feelings of gratitude for the some aspect of the natural world, recognize any anxiety or sorrow that you feel for problems about that, become aware of your own existence and the world's existence in deep time, especially as Jerry said, taking on a specific, very concrete problem in your local community and viewing that from the standpoint of distant ancestors and distant descendants. So finding yourself in deep time and then figuring out what you will carry with you to do some work uh, to re resolve what you've perceived to be these problems 
um, within your own facts, uh, your own causes and conditions, your own circumstances and abilities. So uh, what you take with you is not a challenge to uh, say, well, I'm going to go get rid of climate change tomorrow on my own, but it's a matter of what could you do to take some concrete steps in your own life to help to moderate and avoid so um, I am that uh, leading those programs requires special training. I'm not, I'm not trained in that and I wouldn't be capable of doing that, but I would be interested at some point in the future, uh, wedging in maybe a reading group of a group of people who would be interested in reading um, one of Joanne Macy's books, especially World is Love or World is Self. And so each of us would do something like take a chapter, we would all read it and bring it in, and the person responsible for the chapter would lead the discussion, be prepared to really lead the discussion. I think people would find that very valuable. Um, you know, it's not that uh, everyone who practices Zen or Buddhism has to become a climate change activist, but certainly climate change and working to respond to climate change is a legitimate uh, valuable bodhisattva activity. And it's something that uh, not everybody in the science and Dragon is going to be interested in it, but I think there would be some people who would be, and I'd be happy to, to help with that as well. Um, as Jerry said, I, I think the big thing about these conferences that, that Branching Streams offers is each of these conferences has, uh, let's say, a vision theme, like healing relationships, and there'll be big theme programs, like the work that reconnects or healing circles or something like that. But there are also, at the same time, uh, breakout sessions that are, uh, where the, generally speaking, I mean, the, the planners will propose some breakout groups, which tend to be very much nuts and bolts kinds of issues. Um, we all are leading sanghas, working in sanghas. How do we deal with issues like uh, technology or training boards or fundraising or uh, succession planning for teachers? That sort of thing. Um, at this one, uh, people had provo- proposed topics around technology. Uh, what can San Francisco Zen Center do to support um, the sanghas better, and there was um, a group, an uh, interest group of LGBTQ people who got together to talk about uh, issues that were pertinent to them. Um, at the what can San Francisco Zen Center do for us uh, discussion, we broke out for lunch, and David Zimmerman, made the um, the abiding abbot at City Center, San Francisco City Center, made a point of coming and exploring with us what we thought San Francisco Zen Center could do to help us out. Um, And he was very responsive. He's going to be, David is going to be stepping down as abiding abbot at City Center the first part of next year and taking over as central abbot for all of Zen Center. Uh, Then Ed Sadezan is stepping down Um, and then Marco Volkel will be leaving Austin Zen Center to become the abiding city center. And um, Fu Schrader is going to be stepping down as the abiding abbot at Green Gulch, Green Dragon Temple. 
a Nigeria Richmond Bible is going to take over, which is a Nigerian fan myself. So um, I think that's a, a great thing. But David was, I thought, one of the valuable things, as Jerry said, is the opportunities to speak to other people, um, uh, find out what's going on in other sagas, talk about practical issues. Uh, I can say that no one is particularly thrilled about their hybrid offerings right now, and we're all sort of struggling with it. Um, and, and it kind of interested me, there were a couple of places that suggested they were really, now that people could come back to the Zendo, they were going to ramp down their online programs, their Zoom programs. But the vast majority uh, have the same feeling we do, that there is no way we're going to cut people off from the practice. Um, it's just not going to happen. So uh, we're all sort of floundering around trying to figure out ways to make hybrid programs feel more inclusive. And I think we have some ideas that we'll explore here to see what we can do, both in format of our programs, but also technology, which we're still exploring. Um, we don't need to talk about that. But, um, so other than the uh, breakout session, sort of structured brainstorming, and then just the informal connections with people from other sides is, is particularly valuable. And I can say that uh, people were asking our opinions about things. Um, multiple times people came up to us, and to me anyway, and said, you know, uh, Ancient Dragon is really important. Um, Ancient Dragon has a very strong reputation in the Shunryu Suzuki lineage because of uh, Taigen, obviously, but the depth of our leadership and the strength of practice at Ancient Dragon Zende. So people wanted to hear what we had to say, wanted to hear what we were doing. And um, I found it great that we could make some sort of contribution to what people were thinking about for their programs and to hear some ideas that, about common problems we had. So I, I would like to, in addition, just pitch branching streams generally. As I said, Ancient Dragon has been a member of branching streams for 12 years, I think. Um, and branching streams, you know, as I said, it's over 70 sagas, but they're, all, they're bound because they agreed to be members of this network of sagas. And we're bound by history and the continuity of our history and the ongoing interactions because people within the branching streams network are speaking to each other frequently. So I have spoken, I speak regularly to Raven Gumbel in Milwaukee. I've spoken to people in Austin Zen Center, people in San Francisco City Center, a good bit, and things like that. And people but um, branching streams has other offerings. At, program offerings and resources that it makes available to its members as well. So one of the big ones uh, over the last, well, for the first year and a half of the pandemic, there was a weekly um, workshop for all of the member sockets to figure out how they were going to use Zoom and set up hybrid programs. Another one of those is likely to happen fairly soon so people can share information about what's working and what's not in their hybrid programs. Um, other programs are um, a priest fellowship program, which we've benefited from, which is a way of allowing uh, priests 
generally speaking, from San Francisco Zen Center to visit sanghas who are underserved, who don't have teachers of their own or who could use, could step in while a teacher takes a much needed break, that sort of thing. And we had um, Hakusho Oakland about six years ago for six months, which was valuable. It made a very big impression on him and is the reason why he was willing after years and years at City Center in Tassajara and Green Gulch, um, after having been Eno and Tanto at, uh, for years at Tassajara, to move to Brattleboro, Vermont, and set up an independent lay saga, Zen saga. Uh, so eventually to be something like Ancient Dragon in Brattleboro, Vermont. Um, so it's something that City Center can provide support for the priests to do, which is good for the branching stream sagas. It's also good for the formation of the priests to understand what they're going to do. Um, I'm running out of time. Um, other programs I want to just point out is branching stream sagas benefit from discounts at San Francisco Zen Center's bookstore. So for incense and other altar supplies, we get we can buy them at cost plus shipping. Everything else we can get at a 10% discount. Members of Branching Stream Sangas can order products from San Francisco's Incident Bookstore at a 10% discount. So that's something. They have a remarkably bad page on the San Francisco's Incident website. They don't make it clear what you can get there, so you'd have to call them and say, I'm interested in this. Do you have this? Partly that's because their inventory changes over time. As the manager of the bookstore says, well, this would be cool. that somebody would like this. But they don't do anything about letting people know that they have it. So you're going to have to call them. Um, finally, I think um, something we will want to take advantage of in the future, which we weren't able to take advantage of this year, is Sangha uh, Weeks or even shorter programs at uh, Green Gulch and Tassajara, in which a teacher from a branching stream saga can go with a group of students, practitioners from their saga, and participate in the daily schedule at Green Gulch or Tassajara for three, four, five days. You participate in the sitting schedule, work period, uh, stay in usual housing, and otherwise the teacher from the branching stream saga would lead teaching for the people from their own saga. That's something we had planned to do this summer, and it didn't work out because of some logistical problems. We have done it in the past. And we've done that in the past, yeah. So, and that people have really, didn't you do that? I did it. Yeah. yeah. And um, people have found that to be pretty valuable, I think. That's right. Uh, and once again, appreciating the, evaluating, is that something I'd like to do myself and more in depth, and also making connections and just experiencing the life there. So I'll leave it there, but I do want to uh, thank the board again for helping us to attend this conference. Um, I, I, Jerry and Paula and I flew back together and spent three or four hours talking, <laughs> talking about the program and how valuable it had been and what we could hope to bring back from the program. So thank you very much. Can I say one thing? Can I make a pitch? Sure. I just want to make a pitch for if people are interested in the poetry of Naomi Nye or Alberto Rios or anybody else for a really good site is uh, poetryfoundation.org. They're based here in Chicago. Mm. 
but they are a really good site if you're interested in poetry and you want to know more information about Naomi Nye. Thank you so much, uh, Jerry and Douglas. Uh, do people on Zoom or here have comments, questions, responses? Aisha. I just want to express my appreciation for both of you going and, and for Shudo going with you and for your report. I can't quite put it into words how profound it is to hear about this. Um, after everything that we've been through and to feel like there are, it's like, it's like encountering life out in the universe again, you know, and that, and that everyone to just to know that everyone came together and to support and share ideas. It's, it's wonderful. It's beyond wonderful. Yeah. I remember one day sitting around looking at these people and I had this sense that I was like visiting the cousins and the in-laws. It was like this big yeah. party and it was like, look at all these relatives I've never met before. It was really very, it, right. it like, had that sense. Of, it's like being a Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eve has her hand up online. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. And, and thank you for going and, and bringing, bringing back the, the wisdom. Um, but yeah, so I have some questions. So uh, with the healing circles, like what's the, I mean, it sounds similar to council circles. I mean, I had training in council circles from Jared Side, who's with the Zen Peacemakers Order, um, and I think affiliated with the White Plama Sangha. So anyway, do you know what the connection is? I don't think there's a formal connection. I think that the people who run the healing circles have had training in various other kinds of circle practices, like various Quaker circles, for example, and um, almost certainly white plum circles as well, because uh, John Evans, who's one of the leaders of um, Healing Circles Inc., uh, practiced with uh, white plum for a long time. She was a student of my Zuma Roshis. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of the starting of the, the council circles was that um, Joan Halifax was involved and she, you know, brought her knowledge as an anthropologist of indigenous council practices into the mix in the sixties. And, and then uh, I forget the guy's name, Jack, he wrote the book, the way of council. And um, yeah. So then they kind of developed it from there and Jared's side as an organization where he uses council circles with nonprofit organizations and trains them to do council, um, you know, as an organizational um, learning practice. So, yeah, I I would suspect, based on what the people who trained us said, there's a great deal of overlap in the approach of each of these. Joanna Macy also uh, had uh, various tra various trainings and practices. She she came here to Chicago mm -hmm. a while back, and uh, in addition to meeting people in the future and people in the past, uh, there was a kind of uh, healing and council. Uh, yeah, and there are there clearly there's clearly resonance of indigenous circle practices because the host and the guide, the two people who who are shepherded, not really leading the program, but at least moderating the program, mm -hmm. um, 
are taught to use language about this is the equivalent of sitting in a circle around a fire. There, people will pass a stick, pass a stone, that sort of thing, to, uh, as they speak. And this, so the stone or the stick goes around the circle, that sort of thing. So there, there are a lot of commonalities, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, and if anybody's interested in the council circle stuff, I have the, you know, instruction booklet that that they give us, um, and and I have facilitated, um, you know, after I had two trainings. Um, but I, I was also curious about about the link to the White Plum Asanga because because um, you know the. Um, Zen Life and Meditation Center in Oak Park is part of the White Plama Sangha and the Suzuki Roshi lineage. And I, I did wonder about the connections. So there's a connection to the San Francisco Zen lineage there too. Going back uh, to when San Francisco Zen Center was developing, of course, the Suzuki Roshi and Maizumi Roshi were two of the main Soto teachers who came to America. So we, there were there was interaction between people in Los Angeles and people in San Francisco going right there. Thank you. Other questions or comments? Uh, just, just to respond about Hawker Show, he was here Six years ago, David, yeah. he stayed at David Weiner's house. Mm-hmm. And, That's so wild to me that I'm six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, he helped us. He, he was just at Ancient Dragon. He helped us with some of the forms because he had been, you know, at, uh, at uh, Green Gulch at that point. And, uh, uh, but also it was really influential to him because he, People at San Francisco Zen Center have this sense of things of these large residential places, but to see uh, a place on the like ours was very informative for him. And he was here last was it last summer? Anyway, mm-hmm. he, yeah, yeah. He's uh, so he's he, he's uh, settling in in Vermont. And, yeah, so this is how it all spreads, and there's so many places now in this country and beyond. That are uh, come from the And the, an example of the cross fertilization among sanghas is that Asian and I both have shared various versions of our bylaws and discussed forming boards and how to deal with them, that sort of thing, Hakusho, to help mm-hmm. him understand what he's going to need <laughs> in that, you know, lay sangha. Well, the other thing is that when I first came to Chicago, um, we on board then, and we set up. Uh, and, and is Amina here? Amina's there. Yeah, she was part of the board way back then. Um, you know, we we set up the structures of ancient dragons end gate, the board, and many other things, totally based on uh, my experience in San Francisco Zen Center. I've been on the chair of the board there for a few years, so uh, we're very much part of that tradition and, and of course have had to adapt it to our very different situation. Yeah. And so the, the branching streams website has examples of ethics and reconciliation policies, other policies, um, including ours. Um, so 
you know, they're resources that the different sanghas consult as they're putting together their own approaches to these problems. Thank you again. This is the most normal I've felt in like <laughs> two years. <laughs>